Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows you no favoritism. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 10, verse 34 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled, No Favoritism. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Good morning. I think we are backing our way into East, into Thanksgiving, aren't we? Feels it's an it's an odd time. It's a disorienting time. So it's a good time to focus on God as the center instead of some of our uh, maybe our cultural structures that we often rely on for security, don't we? We continue our our survey of Acts in this series that I've called Church Empowered. Today's message is entitled, No Favoritism. We're going to be in Acts 10 today. The theme verse is actually found in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. And it says, then Peter replied, I can see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Do you believe that? God shows no favoritism. Now, of course, we're talking about because of external characteristics, because of external differences, because God obviously had a deeper relationship with some than with others related to how they responded to him and pursued him. So we don't all have the same depth of relationship, but it isn't because of any of our external characteristics. We're equal in the eyes of God. Regardless of differences, and again, I'm calling these superficial differences in our race, in our backgrounds, our financial status, our social standing, he sees us the same. And here's something that we've got to, got to really understand. His opinion is the only one that matters. His opinion is the only one that matters. Our equality with God is dramatically demonstrated in one sense, by the Lord's Supper. If you don't have your little kits, raise your hand and someone will provide them for you now. But 1 Corinthians 10, begin there. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. And it says, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread. 
We share in one sacrifice, showing that we are one body. And so we begin with the bread, and if you will just open that little cellophane top. I think some have had a hard time seeing it. Just the little cellophane top there. And we will look at Paul's treatment of the Lord's Supper that's found at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Imagine. And then he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then they ate in remembrance of him. And you can eat that little wafer there. In the same way, he took the cup. And it's interesting, he took the cup after supper. There were four cups in the Passover meal. And the fourth cup is the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement that is confirmed or that is sealed, that's established with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time, including this one for us today, Every time you eat the bread, every time you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. In reality, our lives declare two things. Not only through the Lord's Supper, which just symbolizes, but as in our lives, we are continually demonstrating our belief in the death of Christ. And it should be seen in our behavior that we live with an expectation of his return. And all of us are joined together through this death, through this resurrection, through this expectation of Jesus. But the church didn't start that way. And unfortunately, some people, even churchgoers, don't feel that way. In the beginning, the church was in danger of remaining only a small sect of Judaism. Just a subset that thought the Messiah had come in a church, Judaism, that didn't believe he had arrived yet. 
Now the barrier between Jews and Samaritans was broken through the preaching. We looked at it in Acts chapter eight of Philip and then Peter and John came and prayed and anointed the the Samaritans. They received the spirit. But the hatred that Jews harbored for Gentiles, some translations say Greeks, other translations say the uncircumcised. The hatred that Jews harbored for Gentiles was far greater than their dislike of Samaritans. And so the time had come to reconcile Jews and Gentiles. And let me say, if you have any hesitation, the time has come for you to reconcile with anyone that you see as different from you. It's time for us to truly see ourselves as one, as unified, as harmonious in Christ. And in this passage in Acts chapter 10, we will see evidence of our equality. And this is from God's perspective, as I said, which is the only one that matters. First, all of us require God's intervention. Chapter 10, verse 1, in Caesarea, that's a Roman capital of Judea, Jerusalem being the Jewish capital, but this was administrative military capital of Judea for the Romans. And there was a, it was a coastal town and there was a large military base there. There lived a Roman army officer, actually a centurion named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. How many soldiers did a centurion command? I can't hear behind those masks. 100, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Now, what this means is he had abandoned the pagan religion, the idolatrous religion of the Romans. And so he was pursuing the Hebrew God, Jehovah, Yahweh. But he also led his household. Boy, there's a lesson for us, isn't it? I can't say that I understand this American idea that children should decide whether they want to follow God, come to church. I think if they live in your house, they sleep in your bed, they come to church. If they want to cook for themselves, sleep in the backyard, wash their own clothes. I don't understand. I don't understand young people having freedom of decision when they're totally dependent on their parents. I'm not talking about cruelty. I'm talking about leadership. I'm talking about build faith into them. That's what this centurion did. He led his entire household in the direction toward God. Now, he had not yet become a full Jew. He had not become what what is called a proselyte, one who converts. He had not been circumcised. So he wasn't a full Jew yet. He gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. 
Here's what I believe, and I think the scripture gives a lot of evidence. When we are people with a heart toward God, we will give. And we will serve. And so our devotion is, can always be seen. It can be measured by the way we give of ourselves, our time, but yes, also our money. And so we see it here. Here's a man not yet born again, but, but desiring to please God, to know God. And he's already chosen his behavior, that devotion. One afternoon at about three o'clock, which was the Jewish time of prayer, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. I don't think that's an unusual thing. Any of you seen an angel before? Did it scare you? I think it would be. It could be frightening. And Cornelius, this is a strong man. This is a military man. He shows how he respects those in authority. And he says, what is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. You know, do we realize that God is that aware of us? God hears our prayers. God sees our gifts. Now, did this cause him at this stage to be a believer? No. He wasn't saved by, through this. But it's like he's leaning toward God, or I would even say being drawn toward God. And so God expects our prayers. God expects our gifts, even as we're in the process of faith, being prepared for faith. And yet we're not saved by prayers and we're not saved by gifts or giving. Now send some men, he says. Send them to Joppa to a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. It's surprising he's with a tanner because that trade was detestable to Jews. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Now, what's going on here? Well, first we see that we are not, we cannot be saved through merely human means. But God does call us. It's, you know, some, some use the phrase, he, he woos us. Just as he called Cornelius. But then God also knows what we need to be able to come. To come into full faith, to come into belief. God provides what else is needed. This angel from God didn't share the gospel. He directed Cornelius to a man named Peter. And Peter would be the one that would teach about the Savior. Now, why didn't the angel just share the good news? 
He wanted to use Peter. Was that Dan talking? Ron, Ron I'm sorry, Ron. Say it again. Yeah, he was working in Cornelius. He was also working in Peter. When God calls you to a task, he's working as much in you as he is in you completing that task. Every one of us, without exception, needs God's supernatural intervention to be saved. So here's a question. Where are you regarding God? Is God drawing you toward faith today? Or is he using you to share your faith with someone else that he's drawing? And I think very often as he was in Peter, he was addressing some of Peter's prejudices, wasn't he? And I think when he calls us to a task to a person, it will often be someone we see ourselves as different from. It might be someone we do not like. And even as I am speaking, God has given some of you an impression right now. Another evidence of our equality is that, that we all reflect the image of God. Verse 9. The next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He said, well, that happens to me right before I eat too. <laughs> he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds, some clean, some unclean. You can look at Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Why do you think God caused some things to be considered clean and others unclean? Y'all are quiet this morning. You're thinking about where you're going to get your turkey this year. And can you eat turkey through that mask? Sometimes people say, oh, well, it was to protect from bacteria. No, it wasn't. Dietary restrictions separated Israel from her idolatrous neighbors. Identified them as different. In fact, prevented social interaction. You see what I'm saying? Because he said, don't intermarry. Well, here, here's what protects you. Don't even eat with those people. Don't go into their house for dinner. Verse 
And you can read it, Leviticus 20, 25 and 26. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it, has made it clean. That's key, isn't it? And I think he's referring to animals or people, don't you? The same vision was repeated three times. God's really trying to teach him this, isn't he? Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And see, have you had God show you something in yourself that needed to change? It may not be in a sheet. It might be in something someone says to you or some other way God gives you a signal and suddenly you go, that's me. I'm out of alignment with God here. I'm out of alignment. And God here is exposing Peter's attitude, not not toward reptiles as much as toward people. See, this vision signified abolishing the Old Testament dietary restrictions. But it also, and I'd say more importantly, symbolized bringing together all the Gentiles and all the Jews. In fact, all people together in one church. Verse 19. I'm leaving out some of these passages just for time, but you can read them later. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. You see the encouragement? Don't worry, I've sent them. Because what was Peter's initial response going to be? What? Yeah, they're Greeks, they're Roman. And the word Greek is often used for Gentile in some translations. His first natural response would have likely have been to what? Pull back. I don't know if it would be fear as much as it would be revulsion. And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. And they repeated it. He is a devout and a God-fearing man. Well-respected by all the Jews. So they're, they're trying to coax him a little bit, aren't they? A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. How do you think Peter felt doing that? Tell me again. Awkward. Ron, what do you think about that one? You think he wanted to let him come in? Yeah, he, he, he did it because God has been coaxing him, but I don't think he feels too good. But see, it's nighttime. They've come from a long way off Hospitality was a a highly regarded uh, virtue in that culture, but these are Gentiles. 
I don't want them sleeping in my bed. In fact, it wasn't even his bed. He was staying with somebody else. Peter didn't much like being around the the tanner and now he's got a bunch of Gentiles. And he invites them in. Have you noticed that sometimes God makes you act out, act through what you don't really like? Anybody had that experience later? I don't really like you, the lady at the desk, the man who's my supervisor. And here I'm forced to act through with respect, with kindness, with thoughtfulness. It's almost like the action somehow breaks out the habit that's wrong. We think it, we feel it, we believe it, we act on it. So it's surprising because Jews would never give lodging to Gentiles. The next day he went with them accompanied by some brothers from Joppa. This is key too. Acts 11 tells us there were 14 of them. They arrived in Caesarea or Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. That's key too. So we see that Cornelius wasn't ashamed of his faith, but it could not have been a popular position. He brought all of his relatives. He brought his close friends. And as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But look at Peter's response. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. That's a very significant statement. Jews really thought themselves not just like Gentiles. They saw themselves as above Gentiles. They saw themselves as related to God and Gentiles were not. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. You see what's happening here? Did Cornelius do all this on his own or is God working in Cornelius? See, Cornelius is being led, I believe, by God before he's saved, but see, he's, he's being prepared to bring a larger group to listen to Peter. And this would prove to be very important. And so look what Peter says. Now think about you in this instance. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. That's an awful statement, isn't it? Bradley, that's the kind of statement your mom would elbow you for, isn't it? Um, don't say that. Well, it's true. Don't say that. Don't say that. Peter, we know, haven't we seen Peter's personality? How he just blurts out what he's thinking? Well, this is what he's doing. This is what he's thinking. He's thinking, what am I doing in this house? What am I doing with these detestable 
people. I'm not even supposed to be in here. Are you somebody that says what you're thinking and it gets you in trouble? Well, that's what's happening here. I'm not even supposed to be here. He's torn because God said, go with these people. I sent them. But Peter's thinking, well, but now I'm in their house. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius replied. Let's skip down to 33. Just shortening some of the passage. So I sent for you at once and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Folks, we cannot miss this point. If you have the ability to see people differently because of skin color, social class, background, you don't understand the image of God in people. But what about the culture and this and, and all this and, and, you know, all the, the history and wait a minute, no, no, history, all those things aside, God. We belong to God. His opinion should be controlling in our lives and our attitudes. So Peter asserted And we believe that all people are the same, not merely human, wonderfully human. Have you lost your awareness of how wonderful a human being is and how delightfully they're created? Those of us that are grandparents, how many many of you are grandparents? Do you get time with these little ones? Because sometimes when we were raising our own, we were worried about, can we pay the mortgage? Can I keep my job? Can I, you know, all this stuff. And I'm afraid to admit, somehow we missed some aspects of our own children developing. But when you get these little ones, it's just marvelous, you know? I've got a one-year-old now, and I've got another boy on the way in March. So I'm going to have a pack of boys. But this little one, you know, I saw him Friday. I was, we babysit a lot. And so coming into that, into my daughter's house and this little fella seeing me and he starts running and he can barely run. But you just see the, the mind working and the coordination developing and you go, gosh, where did this boy come from? Look at what God's built in this tiny little child. And so we need to step back a little bit. If you started to take life for granted and take your children for granted and take your grandchildren for granted, you need to step back a little bit, particularly at Thanksgiving. It's a time for gratitude and realize that we're all the same. We're not merely human. We're wonderfully human. And we bear the image and the likeness of God. 
And because of that, we have value. All of us are worthy of dignity. But God formed each of us within our mothers. Psalm 139. That's why I'm, I'm so pro-life because it, it wasn't just chance. No person is a mistake. God fashions each one according to his purpose, according to his plan. And we are precious in his sight. God has not made a mistake with you. Well, this is wrong with me and that's wrong with me and the other thing is wrong with me. You're not a mistake. Can you understand that the way you were fashioned is part of his plan for you and it's all deliberate? Do you, do I respect and appreciate people despite superficial differences? Y'all are getting this, that I think every visible distinction is superficial. Everybody getting that? Because it's the image of God that transcends any differences in skin or accent or background or family line. Thank God, you know, I came from such a dysfunctional family. Thank God he doesn't see me in view of all the mistakes ancestors made. And do you see this? That, that the, the image of God is reflected uniquely in each person. You see that? The image of God in me is not the same as the image of God in Jevielian or in Ron or Flora. We're, 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 we don't bear the image of God. We don't reflect it the same way. So how could we minimize anyone? A third evidence of our equality is that all of us are redeemed through the gospel. Verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Now, this isn't talking about salvation by works, but what he's saying is that there are people that, that it, it appears are, are seeking after God and God receives them. Though that doesn't mean salvation, but it may mean preparation unto salvation. You follow me here? Jim, you tracking on this? And God accepts the Spirit's work in each one regardless of the body and the sin of the person the Spirit's working within.
And this is the message of good news for the people of Israel. It came first to them. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. And then Peter summarized Jesus' ministry. I believe God responds to whomever desires to know and obey him. That may not be salvation. It's not salvation until you're born again. But I believe there's a process. And I believe this. If you want God, he wants you. But I don't believe that you have God if you're unconcerned about him. Cornelius and these Gentiles were divinely prepared to hear and believe. Let's jump down to 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Again, just another, he's, he's, he's laying down this proof of physical resurrection. He is the one all the prophets testified about. See, salvation by grace through faith is not, is, is not purely a New Testament issue. Numerous prophets testified about this. Isaiah did, Jeremiah did. Zechariah did. The prophets spoke the gospel saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven not through sacrifices, not through keeping the law, not through good works, through Jesus' name. Salvation has always been by faith, never the law. Abraham didn't even have the law. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, all of us are saved in the same way. Faith means we believe what God said he did on our behalf to erase our sins. That's what faith is. Faith isn't you mustering something. Faith is saying God did it and I believe it. And I'm trusting him all the way through death into heaven. For what he did. Because I could contribute nothing. So we trust in the death. We trust in the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And it was, we symbolized in the Lord's Supper, Jesus was broken one time and all of us get to share in that. He didn't do it one time for me, one time for Paula. He didn't say, well, it, well Perry's worse than Paula. So, it, so Jesus has to suffer more for Perry than for Paula. Now that fact is probably true but it's not eternally true one sacrifice that we are included in together 
And by doing so, he removed any vestige of separation, of distinction from among us. Because of God's love, Jesus died once for all of us. And see, here's the thing. None of us required less than the death of Jesus. None of us required more than the death of Jesus. To be cleansed of unrighteousness. To be made right in God's eyes. So how can we discriminate against each other? Do we understand this? I'm not better than anybody else. But thankfully, I'm not worse than anybody else. Randy, it required the same for you and me. And I know your life. (laughs) It required no more for you than me. John, you understand that? Some days you think it would take more for God to save you, don't you? Hmm. That was sufficient. And that what makes you and I, that's what makes you and I the same. Lord, I'm going to tell you, if this can't eliminate racism, bigotry, I don't think it can be eliminated. Racism and bigotry are, are human. Well, we've died to the flesh. We live in the spirit. Spirit doesn't know anything about racism and I mean, he knows, but you know what I'm saying. Spirit endorses none of that. A final evidence of our equality is that all of us must be regenerated by the same spirit. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. You see, they were there with these people, but they, they still saw them different. And so the Jewish believers, see, it was good that more were with Peter. It wasn't just Peter because he needed some witnesses because some other people needed to be convinced and influenced. And so they're amazed that these Gentiles, okay, the Jews, we understand, got the spirit at Pentecost. The Samaritans, we're not so sure why he did that, but they're not so bad. At least they're half good. But this bunch, and God gave them evidence because there was outward evidence. It doesn't say that they saw the flames fall. So it says that they spoke in tongues and they praised God. So the the Jewish Christians from Joppa observed God putting his arms around these Gentiles and filling them with the Spirit. Without the text saying so, it appears that when Cornelius and the Gentiles heard forgiveness was available through Jesus Christ, they were born again. They believed. They were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit actually enables us to believe. We're born again and we believe rather than we believe and we're born again. The Spirit enables us to believe. And the Spirit fell on these Gentiles, evidenced through their worship. Now, 
These six believers with Peter were astonished that these folks were given the Spirit too. That, that they received God the same way they as Jews had. And then Peter asked, verse 46. Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? You see what he's pulling out of them? You have any resistance? You have any prejudice? Any bigotry left? Any hatred still in you? Can any of you object since they've received the Spirit just like we did? Since they believed the same things we do? And then he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why didn't he do it himself? You see what he's doing? He's training them. And now you baptize them. You see how that forced any resistance to the top. These Jewish believers had to, had to act on their acceptance of these Gentiles as equal to them. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. When we're born again, you know what? We love each other. We, we want to learn about the gospel. So Cornelius is saying, hey, y'all stay with us. Teach us. And that desire to know God and be instructed, that desire to have fellowship with other believers who had different backgrounds is evidence of saving faith. How do you display your belief that all are equal? Because God shows no favoritism and he leaves no room for me to. Here's our memory verse, but I want you to see it. Ephesians chapter two. I'm closing the service out. What I'd like you to do is stand and let's read this together. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles and blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and Arabs. And you fill in whatever race you, you can think of. No distinctions. No distinctions. For he's united us into one people when in his own body on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. There's no room for hostility. That's right. That's what. <laughs> Begin considering this in your spiritual practice. Who do you spend time with that is different from you? Are you hesitant? to reach out to someone with different beliefs, different backgrounds, different stage in life. 
and ask God who he wants you to share the good news of Jesus with. Now here's my blessing. May the spirit of gratitude toward God and awareness of what he's given enrich your thanksgiving this week. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought us to peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Who do you spend time with who's different from you, such as beliefs, background, stage in life, race, etc.? Ask God to show you who he wants you to get to know better and what he wants you to share with them. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a great week.